Good morning. Our passage today is Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So let us pray today. Dear Lord, please give Pastor Andrew power from your Holy Spirit to preach your truth from your word. Please give your church understanding and discernment. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we hear the word leprosy, I don't know what all comes to your mind, but I, I think that we tend to uh, think about what is more commonly known today as what's called Hansen's disease. However, uh, biblically speaking, uh, leprosy was a very general term, a very broad term for any number of skin diseases, uh, and as such had massive implications uh, for the individual who'd have it physically, uh, uh, socially and also religiously. So physically, leprosy, and, and it's many different forms, but physically, leprosy was or is a wasting disease. It's a wasting disease that destroys flesh and is contagious on contact. In its worst form, is very dreaded and very dreadful. It was both disfiguring and fatal. In its worst form, again, Hansen's disease, that's its worst form, it attacks the nerves and one's sensitivity to pain. Uh, it would bring numbness to the extremities of the body, the ears, the eyelids, the nose, the fingers, and toes. Uh, when you have Hansen's disease, if that's what this individual here had, uh, then you could step on a, on a nail with your foot and not know it. Uh, you could have, and this was a real problem, you could have rats gnawing on your toes while you sleep and not know it. And I share that illustration because, again, that, that was a real problem that really was happening as, as early as or as late as the 20th century. Uh, Dr. Paul Brand is a well-known Christian doctor. He became a great authority on, the, on, on Hansen's disease in the 20th century. And he, one of, one of his prescriptions uh, was he would send his, his uh, patients back from the treatment center to, to their home with a cat so that... I think you can figure that out, right? So that should they have mice or rats in their house, the cat would take care of those while they were sleeping and wouldn't have to worry about that. Uh, for that reason, uh, this doctor, Dr. Paul Brand, referred to Hansen's disease as a painless hell. I think that's pretty apt. So for those reasons, those, those physical issues, uh, leprosy had social implications 
They had to live in isolation. There was no cure. The only defense was quarantine. They were forbidden to approach other people. To prevent accidental contact, wherever a leper would go, they were required by law to shout out, unclean, unclean, so that no one would touch them. Leviticus 13, verses 45 and 46, we read this from God's word, that the leprous person who has the disease uh, shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. Verse 46, he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean, he shall live alone his dwelling shall be outside the camp. So it's interesting, as, as you hear those verses in Leviticus, uh, you, you get this idea of mourning, right? Uh, when it talks about ripped clothes, hair hanging loose, covering the upper lip, crying out, unclean, unclean. Uh, those with leprosy, it's as though they're thought of as dead and being separated from the community. It's, it's reminiscent of mourning for the dead, And so J.C. Ryle aptly called leprosy a living death. It was a living death. They had no way of earning a living. Uh, They had to depend on charity. Uh, Michael Wilcock writes that the leper was not just ill, he was an outcast. He had not simply lost his health, he had lost his family, his friends, his home, his, his livelihood. Uh, No one would indeed and no one was allowed to associate with him. So just just try and for a moment put yourself in in those shoes and think about that, that being smiled at, being warmly greeted, you know, a a hug, a a handshake, uh, making small talk, laughing, joking, Uh, getting a wedding invitation or a party invitation, uh, singing songs with friends and family like we just did, all of that is what? It's gone. If you have leprosy, that's all gone. You're abandoned, feared by the world. Massive social implications, not just physical. The physical is bad enough, right? But then to be socially outcast like that amplifies it all the more. And as I said, it has religious implications as well. Those with leprosy, we just read that in Leviticus, were considered unclean, which is to say unfit to worship God. And what is more, there are several times in Scripture when leprosy is clearly the judgment of God. If you remember Miriam, and when Miriam stubbornly, sinfully opposes the leadership of God's man Moses, what happens to her? She's struck with Leprosy, and that's Numbers 12, verses 10 through 12. Now that's not to say, don't jump to any conclusions, that's not to say that every time someone had leprosy it was because there was sin in their life and God was cursing them or judging them, but that was the perception of the Jewish people in that day. If someone had leprosy, the thought that would come to mind was, oh my word, what sin did you do? Did that happen to you? That's the social stigma, and that's the religious stigma. It's pretty rough, isn't it? Leprosy is ugly, it's horrible, it's nasty, it's debilitating, physically, socially, religiously. 
And note in our text in verse 12 that Luke, ever the doctor, right? In, in verse 12, Luke, Luke writes that this, while Jesus was in one of these cities, there came a man who not just had leprosy, but Luke is the only one to do this. If you compare it to Matthew and Mark, he mentions that this man not only had leprosy, but he was what? He was full of leprosy, which is probably to say it was a very advanced case. A very advanced case. Most likely it affected his, his face, his arms, his hands, his legs, his feet, and maybe even had a mass of ulcers and sores all over him. He probably looked and smelled like death. And the worst part was there was no cure. The law could not help this man. The law could tell him it was bad, but there was no cure. There was no remedy for this man. There was a saying among the rabbis of that day, it's easier to raise the dead than to cure a leper. Easier to raise the dead than to cure a leper. Now, here comes the ouch. The painful part. What we need to understand as as we look through this text is that leprosy is a very accurate picture and illustration of my and your spiritual condition apart from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that what you came here this morning to hear? <laughs> Leprosy is a very, very accurate illustration of us without the gospel in our hearts and lives. As, as you hear that description of leprosy, you need to humble yourself and recognize, apart from Christ, that's you and that's me. We are sick through sin. A Warren Wiersbe brought this out very well in his, his commentary in this text. He writes, like sin, leprosy is deeper than the skin and cannot be helped by mere surface measures. Like sin... Leprosy spreads, and as it spreads, it defiles. And because of this defilement, a leprous person has to be isolated outside the camp. And we know that one day lost sinners will be isolated in hell. I think we can draw that out even more, that like leprosy, sin disfigures us, it mars us, it corrupts us from the heart outward from the person God created us to be. So much so that the scriptures say that our best righteous acts are filthy rags in the sight of God. So like, like leprosy, sin disfigures us. Like leprosy, sin renders us to be the living dead. Ephesians 2, and there's, I don't know if that show's still on, the popular show, The Walk, Walking Dead, about zombies. You know, the Bible had that nailed down way before whoever wrote that did. And the Bible in Ephesians 2 refers to all of us, apart from Christ, as the walking dead, as the living dead, because that's what sin does to us. That's in Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Like leprosy, sin causes distance and breakdown of relationships. Uh, marriages who once felt very united and, and, and close and warm and intimate uh, become riddled with bitterness and anger. Fathers become harsh and cruel with their children. Teenagers become angry and defiant. So like leprosy, sin causes uh, these relational breakdowns. And like leprosy, sin can start very insignificant. It can start very 
painlessly. It can start in ways you don't even notice, but slowly grows. Sin, like leprosy, is never content. Sin spreads with serious results to the person, repulsiveness to others, and ultimately ends in death. So you see, as, as, as ugly as leprosy is, leprosy serves as a symbol of my sin and yours, if not dealt with by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Leprosy is a graphic picture of our depravity, our helplessness, our hopelessness. Sin is ugly, it is nasty, it is horrible. It is a great blight. What then are we to do? What do we do with our sin? What do we do in this, this helpless, hopeless situation that we are in? Well, verse 12 answers that. And verse 12 must be one of the most beautiful verses in the gospel. While Jesus was in one of the cities, it says, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, what did he do? He fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. That's a beautiful, beautiful verse. From that verse, we learn, we see what to do. If you were in a hopeless situation, if you're, by the Spirit of God, recognizing the ugliness and pervasiveness and wickedness of sin in your life, and you're wondering, what do I do with it? Verse 12 just answered that. What do you do with your sin? What do you do when you're, when you're in a hopeless situation? Number one, man, you run to Jesus. Amen. You run to Jesus, just, just like the leper. When he saw Jesus, right? You run to Jesus. And remember, lepers were strictly forbidden to come into town, but that's exactly what this man does. I'm, I'm sure to the utter shock and dismay of everyone around. We, we know from other historical texts that if, if a leper uh, would come into a place he's not supposed to be and not announce unclean, unclean, they would actually pick up rocks and throw it at him to keep him away. But this, this leper, he's in such a desperate, hopeless situation. He sees Jesus and he goes to him. He, 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 he pursues him. He seeks him out. He longs to be healed. His need is overwhelming. And he goes to the great physician. You run to Jesus. Secondly, we see in verse 12 that you humble yourself. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, saying, Lord. He didn't come making demands. He didn't try and dress himself up all nice, make himself presentable. No, he, he utterly humbles himself. He is a powerful picture of what Matthew means when he says being poor in spirit. He is poor in spirit. He recognizes his brokenness, his hopelessness, his helplessness. He recognizes uh, there is no uh, place for self-sufficiency. As Americans, we love that. Self-sufficient, right? There is no place for that biblically. We are not self-sufficient. He recognizes he has nothing to commend himself to Jesus. He's not trying to show off to Jesus. He just comes to Jesus with all the ugliness of his disease, right? With all the festering and oozing of the, of the ulcers and the wounds and the skin disease. He, he just comes to Jesus, and that's what we need to do. With, with our sin, with our helpless situations, never, ever, ever think, I need to clean myself up first, then I'll go to Jesus. You, know, you come to Jesus with all of your foulness. Come to Jesus with all of your sin, with all of your oozing sores, 
with all of your fear, with all of your anxiety, with all of your trouble, and all of your sins. The third thing that we see from verse 12 is not just that he, he ran to Jesus, that he humbled himself before Jesus, but thirdly, he earnestly desired to be cleansed. He fell on his face and begged. He earnestly desired to be cleansed. He begged him. You pick up the urgency there, right? It's not, hey, Jesus, when you get a chance, you know, man, it'd be great if you could do something about this for me. No, he just implores him, pleads with him. He has a great need. He's, he has a great lack and pleads with Jesus, make me clean. Heal me, restore me. He doesn't care what others think, right? That's so often our problem, right? We worry what others think. He doesn't, he's, he's so desperate and hopeless and helpless, he doesn't care anymore what people think. And he just unashamedly, unabashedly pleads with the Lord Jesus Christ. Another way to say this is, he not only needed to change, we all in here need to change, but he wanted to change. Man, that's the game changer. That is the huge game changer, right? We all need to change, but the difference is, do you want to change? And this man was ready to change. He earnestly desired to be cleansed. So number four from verse 12, he firmly trusted in Jesus' ability to change him. He seeks Jesus out. He humbles himself before him. He earnestly desires to be cleansed. And number four, firmly trusted in Jesus' ability to change him. Why do we say that? Because it says in verse 12, Lord, if you will, you can, right? You hear the the ability? He knows you can make me clean. You can make me clean. There's no doubt in this man's heart that Jesus is able to cleanse him. So not only did he want to change, he turned to the only person who could change him. And again, that's crucial, right? It's not just that we need to change. You need to want to change. Then in wanting to change, you need to go to the one and only person who can change you. That's where we often go wrong also, isn't it? You might want to change, but you go all the wrong places. So he goes to the right place. He goes to the great physician. He goes to our creator, our Lord, our Savior. He didn't decide to try harder. He didn't decide to turn over a new leaf. No, he goes to Jesus, the great change agents. And fifth, from verse 12, we see uh, what to do with, with hopeless situations. Verse 12, he submitted to the will of Jesus. He submitted to the, the will of Jesus because he writes, or he says, we, we, we see written in verse 12, Lord, if you will. You hear the humbleness there, the submission there? Everyone's favorite word, right? Submission to the Father's will. He's not making demands. He submitted to the sovereignty of Jesus. He throws himself upon his mercy. He believed Jesus is sovereign in determining uh, if he would heal, who he would heal. He, he puts himself, his situation, in the hands of Jesus, trusting Jesus with the outcome, whatever that might be. Lord, if you will. Man, I, I, I tell you that uh, there's perhaps nothing more difficult to pray than that. Father, if you will. But there's probably nothing more important to pray than that. Father, if you will. So I believe that's how we all should come to Jesus for salvation. 
I believe that's also how we should all come to him with our hopeless, our hard, our difficult situations. It's okay for, to ask for help. And ask for that help from the Lord. Humble yourself, depend upon him, trust upon him. And we'll see, point number two this morning, that nothing is beyond the healing touch of Jesus' love. So if you're in a hopeless situation this morning, you're in this hard situation this morning, and, and you've heard what I just said, what you need to remember is there's nothing and no one beyond the situation, or nothing and no one beyond the loving touch of Jesus. We see that in verses 13 and 14, because Jesus does something completely amazing and unthinkable and crazy. Uh, he, it says in verse 13 that Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. <clears throat> and I wonder if you, if you catch what's so stunning about that, because quite frankly, it's easy to, to read this and, and miss it if you're not careful. And, and what I'm talking about is the fact that it says in verse 13 that Jesus stretched out his hand and did what? He touched him. You're not supposed to do that. He, he touched him. That's, that's unthinkable, right? If I can use my, my sanctified imagination, I, I can picture moms like in horror covering the eyes of their children, right? Like, or, or yanking them away like, and turning them around as they yank them away, right? Like, don't look at that, right? Don't see that. Or passerbys uh, starting to uh, gird up their loins in the old KGV language, right? And starting to run because like, that's happening. Or just shocks and, and gasps of, of disgust. You can maybe see the disciples recoiling, right? He stretched out his hand and touched him. What love. He saw this man who was wasting away, full of this awful disease and with fullness of love and kindness and tenderness. He touched him, and I think that's magnified all the more when we just think about the fact he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to touch him, right? All he had to do was say, yep, I'm willing, you're clean, right? Maybe like with a lordly wave, like, you're clean, but instead, with his love and his mercy and his kindness and compassion, he touches him. That's our Savior. What love. The deep, deep love and kindness and compassion and mercy of our Savior, it knows no bounds. Doing the unthinkable, skin upon skin, he's not repulsed, he's not terrified, he has compassion. Most likely the first time this guy's felt any human touch in years. Imagine that, huh? No human touch for years. Maybe some of you are introverts and you're like, yeah, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> but just imagine. Uh, no, no touch, no human touch, no smiles, no hugs, no, no anything like that. Amazing love. And you, of course, know the drill that if you touch someone or something that is unclean, what happens to you? You become unclean. But here in our text, the opposite happens. Jesus, who is clean and pure and holy and upright before the Father, he touches you and you become clean. And he's untouched. What a wonderful salvation. 
So we've considered how awful the depths and depravity and wickedness and awfulness of our sinful condition apart from Christ. I am a great sinner is what you should be thinking in light of what we've heard. But I hope you're hearing the opposite side of that is, yes, you are a great sinner and I am a great sinner, but Jesus is an even greater Savior. And his salvation is merciful He hears and responds to the desperate man's cry for help. His salvation is compassionate. He is ready to relieve us of our burden of sin. And his salvation is willing. Of course it's willing. Man, not only did Jesus touch the leper, my word, he left the glories of heaven and God became man. He became flesh. The 100% God-man, right? 100% God, 100% man. Not like a mix, not a hybrid. No, he's both put together in one body. He, he went to those extremes, and he even went to the extreme of death on a cross to identify with us. He became sin for us, so that in the same way as he touches the leper and he becomes clean, that we by faith in him, as he touches us with his love and his word and his spirit and his power, he makes you and I clean. And so we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, and his wounds are our wounds, our sin. As he takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness. Hear also the words of John chapter 6, verse 37, where Jesus said, The one who comes to me I will never cast away. So behold the salvation that is willing. He is willing to redeem you. He is willing to save you. If you feel unlovable, if you feel unsure about how Jesus will respond to you, I'm not so sure about this, this, this Jesus guy, right? How he's going to uh, think about me or, or all those things. Hear from this, see from this, that Jesus, Jesus welcomes you and he will cleanse you. He will redeem you. And maybe you're wondering, well, is he powerful enough to do that? Is he able to do that? And we see from this text he is. Not only is Jesus willing, he's what? He's able. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says that Jesus is able to save us, I love that, to the uttermost. To the uttermost. So you come to Jesus full of leprosy, full of sin, full of oozing sores and foulness, and Jesus is able to save you to the uttermost. He is powerful. He is mighty to save. And what a picture we have here where it says in verse 13, immediately the leprosy left him. Man, I would have liked to have been there to see that, huh? (laughs) To have this oozing, festering sores and ulcers to go from that to the kind of skin that Avalon wishes they could give you with all their ointment, right? (laughs) Or whatever it is that you use. In my house, I see, what is it called? Birds or birds, bees or something like that or whatever, whatever that is. They wish they had this, right? (laughs) Where Jesus touches and gives new skin. And again, that's just a wonderful picture of salvation where Jesus touches us and he takes away our unrighteousness and declares us righteous. He makes us a new creation. And I think we also see from this this wonderful salvation that through Jesus' touch he, he restores us 
uh, again, Wilcock, to quote him again, he writes that the healing hand of Jesus, quote, signalized a coming reunion with family and friends, a reintegration with the society which the disease had cut him off. Remember all the, all the social implications? Not only is he healed physically, but now he's able to enter back into uh, regular life. And that's the significance of verse 14, where Jesus charges him, don't tell anyone, but instead, go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. So I would encourage you later today or this week to read Leviticus 13 and 14. That's, that's the historical, biblical backdrop to our text. It fills in a lot that, that's happening here. But according to Leviticus 13 and 14, the leprous man had to go back to his priest to, to verify his cleansing. And once that's verified, he's able to rejoin his community. And thus he's restored, not just physically, but socially. And you got to see the connection there, right, with, with what Jesus does with us. When Jesus saves you, he doesn't just save you spiritually, but he brings you into the company of the redeemed. He gives you a new family. He gives you a, a new community. And again, to just piggyback off what, what Chuck was saying in our Discipleship Pathway, Believe, Belong, Become, Build, that's belong, right? That's the idea of belonging. We want Orangeville Baptist Church to be that family, a place where you belong, where it is safe to be transparent and open and to connect and, and have relationships where you are challenged and encouraged to be more like Christ. That's become, right? They, they tie together. And that's the importance of church membership. That's why we push church membership here, because you're not just saved as an individual, you're saved in Christ, into his family, to serve and love and alongside his family. So again, you see here that no one is beyond the, the touch of Jesus' love and the, his healing touch is obviously not just for, for lepers. His, his healing touch is for anyone who is in need. Uh, Riken uh, says this very powerfully. He, he says, quote, Jesus has the power to heal the body, although he will not bring full and final healing until the resurrection. He has the power to restore the soul, he has the power to reconcile relationships. Most of all, he has the power to cure the deadly disease of our sin. He goes on to write, whatever healing we need, whatever sin is troubling our conscience, whatever sorrow is grieving our hearts, whatever relationship is making us anxious, Jesus is able to touch the hurting places in our lives and make us whole. That's good stuff right there. <laughs> what a Savior. I say again that no one in no situation is beyond the touch of Jesus' love. The, the loving touch of Jesus, it brings forgiveness. It brings restoration. The loving touch of Jesus awakens hope. Man, we live in a world that needs hope, don't we? And the loving touch of Jesus awakens hope. It awakens faith. It awakens love. It awakens joy. The loving touch of Jesus breaks chains and frees prisoners. Uh, the loving touch of Jesus transforms lives. Maybe you're, you're sitting there and, and you're thinking, man, I've, I've been an awful hypocrite these past few weeks or this past year or however the Lord's working in your heart. And you know what Jesus says to you? I'm willing. Be clean. 
Maybe you say, man, those who love me, I've been awful to them. I've hurt them in ways you you couldn't even imagine. And, And Jesus is saying to you, I'm willing. Be clean. Maybe you say, I've been unfaithful to my spouse, I've had an affair, or I'm addicted to pornography and I need to be cleansed. And Jesus says, I'm willing. Be clean. You say, I've murdered. I've stolen. I've I've abused drugs. I've even abused others. I've abused my my children. I'm, I'm, I'm an awful person. And Jesus says, man, I'm willing. I'm willing. Be cleansed. No one, no situation beyond the touching power and love of Jesus Christ. First John 1 John 1.9 promises if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What do you need Jesus to touch today? Bring it to him. And hear me, please, also this morning, if, if you know Jesus' healing touch, if you are part of the redeemed this morning, you've been made whole by him, forgiven of your sin, righteous in his sight, then what Jesus is calling out for you is it's not just that Jesus touched you. What does he want you to do now? He wants you to go out and touch others with the love of Christ. It's not just, oh, how wonderful that Jesus has loved me and just being wrapped up and warm and snuggled by that, but it's, it's, it's going out and, and loving others the same way he has loved you, yes? And so your hands are the hands that God will now use to reach out to people no one else is willing to touch. And your arms are the arms that he uses to carry people to Christ. And your voice is the voice he uses to proclaim his truth and love and his glorious praises. Who will you, that's the challenge, right? Who will you touch with the love of Jesus this week? That's got to be in your ears, right? As as you're hearing this message this morning, it's not just, well, that was nice. Who are you going to love this way? Who are you going to touch with the love of Jesus this week? Who are the lepers, so to speak, in our society today? Who are the lepers in your sphere of influence? Who are the lepers in our church? Who are the lepers in Barry and Elgin County? Who's the one person at your workplace that no one can stand, right? <coughs> who's the, the biggest complainer in your neighborhood? Who's the, who's, who's the relative in your family that everyone tries to avoid? Who's the one person at school or, or youth group that all the kids make fun of or avoid or has a hard time, is bullied, or whatever it is that's happening in his or her life's kind of on the outside looking in as a social outcast? Who's that person? Who's that person in your life that you would rather not love, but God is calling you and putting on your heart right now? You better love that person and touch that person with the love of Christ. Who is it? Don't avoid them. Instead, pray, serve, sacrifice for them. That's that's why I titled this message, The Touch That Changed the World. Because it doesn't just change the life of that leper Uh, When you're touched with the love of Christ, uh, you begin to touch others with his, uh, providing his affectionate care, and start a contagion of Christ-like love and compassion. Which all leads to the third point. We talked about if you're in a hopeless situation, what you do with it is you remember that no one and nothing is beyond Jesus' 
loving touch, but then lastly and most importantly probably is this from verses 15 and 16 that in order to touch others with the love of Christ, you need to be in touch with the love of the Father first, and that happens through prayer. So watch, watch what happens. Remember Jesus commanded this guy, don't tell anyone, just go to the priest, be cleansed that way, and be restored, but what does the guy do? He obviously begins to tell people because verse 15, and actually Mark 1.45 confirms this, but verse 15 it says, But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So, so this is kind of odd in the sense that usually it's like pulling teeth to get people to talk to others about Jesus. Right? That's an ouch. Here this guy is told, man, you better not tell others what I did for you, and he goes and tells people. More for that, huh? <laughs> That's an ouch. It's okay to say ouch there, not amen. Uh, but we are, we are prone uh, to not want to share, and this guy's told don't share, and he does the opposite. You might be wondering why Jesus tells him not to tell anyone, not even just tells him, he commands him, he charges him, don't tell anyone. Why? Why, why, would, why would Jesus do that? And I, I think, I, I, I'm not sure I'm exactly right on this, but I, I think the answer is Jesus wanted to avoid what happens. I think he, he wanted to avoid these crowds that are enthusiastic about his healing, but not so enthusiastic about him and who he is and why he's doing what he's doing. I, I think he's trying to avoid, again, exactly what, what happened. People who just want, want that that enthusiasm and that excitement of this healing power, but they're not so excited about his mission and his message. Does that make sense? I, I think, in part, that that's what's happening. And what's, what's amazing is, is the more the crowds grow, Jesus, verse 16, withdraws to desolate places, and praise, and I think that's remarkable because if the crowds grow, I think we would tend to think, man, what an opportunity. And Jesus thinks, yeah, it is a great opportunity to go pray. <laughs> Do we think that way? And I just want to say this morning that if we are, again, going to touch the untouchable and, and love the unlovable, then you need to stay close to God's heart. You need to stay close to God's heart in prayer because man, oh man, oh man, loving others and serving others, touching the untouchable and loving the unlovable is hard. And it's messy. It's demanding. It's relentless. It's also flat out, humanly speaking, impossible. So in order to keep our focus on the right priorities and values, we need, we absolutely need to slip away and pray. And quite frankly, if we don't slip away and pray, it's all powerless anyways. It's meaningless anyways. Why is it that we can be so busy with good things and see so little fruits? Why is it there can be many sermons and yet few saved? Why is it there can be a lot of church machinery and church programs and church activity and church busyness, yet so little effect produced? Why? One of the answers could very well be we need to pray, we need to withdraw and pray, that we run in vain, we plan in vain, we do all things in vain without being often before the throne of grace. Jesus had to make time to do that. 
and he was preaching and driving out demons and then healing the sick. And if, he, if he's, if he's going to do that and needs to ask God for strength and wisdom and help, my word, how much do we need to do that? There's Martin Luther who had the habit of preach, or praying three hours every day and the days when he was super busy, he would pray for four or five. Huh, I wonder why it is he led the Reformation the way he did. Not much to wonder about, is it? As he sought the Lord in prayer. We all need a time, a secret place, away from the world, away from the noise, away from the crowds, away from the turmoil, where you can be still, undisturbed, undistracted, set your heart and mind on God alone, and find that rest, find that spirit, find that communion with God. Do you have that? Do you have that? If you want to be able to share the love of Christ with others, the strength, the courage to touch the untouchable and love the unlovable, you must be filled with his love. And to be filled with his love, you must be much in his, his throne of grace. This doesn't happen accidentally. Don't just hear this message and be like, you know what, that's right, I need to do that. We need to come up with a plan. You need to be intentional about it. Again, it's not accidental. That's why I was gone for three weeks. I spent that last week, a great deal of it, doing this. I'm useless as a pastor if I'm not doing that. <clears throat> so I want you to hear this morning, maybe you're wired like I am. My mentor also told me, not just that duck analogy, he also told me that I'm like a dragster. <laughs> the grace car, not a, not a drag, whatever, but a dragster. <clears throat> just constantly high RPM, constantly moving. If I'm not careful... He warned me, if I don't take regular times to rest, to slow down, take a break, withdraw, I will crash. Maybe you're wired the same way. Are you wired that way? And I, if so, I just, just want to encourage you this morning that it is good, it is wise, it is right, it is important that you withdraw and you rest and you seek the Lord's face. There needs to be a balance because what I just said right there, again, I know there's, there's some introverts in our midst, and you just heard what I'm saying about, you know, like uh, withdrawing and desolate. I mean, that, that's like, like verse 16 is like the introvert's dream verse, right? Like desolate places. Yes and amen. That's where I want to be. Keep me there all day long. No one touch me. Leave my phone at home. I just want to do what I do. Read or whatever it is that you do to, to recharge. And, and you love verse 16. So your struggle then is verse 12. Your struggle is verse 12, where, Jesus, where it says about Jesus, he was in one of the cities, right? You don't want to be in the cities. That's why I live in, in Orangeville, right? <laughs> There's a balance here. Because you can't do ministry in isolation. And Jesus teaches us by model and example this perfect balance of being an extroverted introvert or an introverted extrovert, right? He's, he's both. He has this balance of ministering among the people and rubbing shoulders with people and touching people and loving people and caring for people, but also withdrawing the desolate places and to pray. Are you balanced that way? Do you have that rhythm in your life? Or are you always go, 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 minister, 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 and none of the pray, pray, pray? Or are you pray, 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 but very little of ministering? You see? Which one is it? Our Savior expects and commands us to be fully engaged in this world for his glory, to touch others with his love. The problem is we are dust, and dust is easily blown away 
So we need the balance that Jesus Christ has. And that's why next Sunday morning, during discipleship hour, at 9.30 a.m., we're committing that time for prayer. I encourage all of you to be here for that. Next Sunday morning at 9.30 to 10.15, that's a time of corporate prayer. That's also why on Wednesday nights we have corporate prayer meeting. It's also why in the month of March, and we'll announce more about this as it gets closer, but the month of March we're dedicating or committing to be a month of prayer. Because we're helpless, we're powerless, we're useless if we're not going to desolate places and praying and seeking the Father's faith. Faith. So I trust, I hope, that that encourages you, that that challenges you in one way or another, that each one of us here, having, having heard what we've heard this morning, would not just hear it, but that we would also, what, do it. Uh, so spend some time uh, alone with God, spend some time with family, talking with others, uh, go to a growth group, engage with this, uh, discuss about this, and how you can grow and find balance in these daily rhythms of life. And again, if you need the Lord Jesus to, to touch you and to help you this morning, you're in a great place to be. We want to come alongside you and help you and encourage you. Please don't leave here today without talking to someone but especially be challenged, who is that leper in your life, in your sphere of influence, who you're going to touch in love with Jesus? Who is he laying on your heart?